Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, and welcome to the show. Without further ado, I really want to introduce you to my special guest this week. I know you've heard his extraordinary guitar playing thousands of times on groundbreaking multi-platinum albums by Steely Dan, which was a band he co-founded, as well as with the Doobie Brothers. There have also been countless smash hit songs and albums he's performed on as a first call studio musician. But the one place you haven't heard the world-renowned guitarist Jeff Skunk Baxter to date is on an album all his own. Well, that's changed now, as you're about to hear. Strap yourself in because there's a whole lot to learn about this incredible musician, from the many heavyweight legends he's worked with to the latest in missile defence systems that he's invented. Please forgive my voice during this interview. I was suffering from a good dose of flu. Welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air, Jeff Skull Baxter. Thank you, dear. Really appreciate your time. Congratulations on your first solo album. It's called Speed of Heat, and it's taken you a considerable time to finally do your own, hasn't it? Yeah, it seems like it's been uh, yeah quite a while, but I mean, what was in no hurry? You've been doing so many awesome things. Are you happy to walk us through your career? Gee. A potted <laughs> version of your career. Did you start out wanting to be a musician? Well, I started asked my mom for uh, piano lessons when I was five and she was right there said absolutely she was a, uh, she played piano as well right. and she got me a teacher right away uh, she actually started me off like we all did when we were kids on the John Thompson book one and you know all of that stuff and then got me a teacher and I don't know if I wanted to be a musician but I certainly wanted to be musical. I guess that's the right way to put it. But as you grew older and through your teen years, you developed a whole lot of other interests as well. It wasn't your sole focus, was it? Oh, no. No. And then when I was nine years old is when I started playing guitar. And that was really a huge moment in my life to realize that, oh, man, my parents gave me a guitar for Christmas when I was nine and I wanted a bicycle. It just pissed me off. (laughs) <laughs> so I I hung it on the wall and my buddy downstairs growing up, I grew up in Mexico City. Huh. So in the apartment downstairs, he started taking guitar lessons and said, if I teach you some chords, can I, you know, I need somebody to play with. And so I pulled the thing off the wall, tuned it up and started to get into it and realized I like this <laughs> a lot. What do you think it was about it that uh, you enjoyed so much? I think it was the intimacy. And later on, when I had a conversation with Andres Segovia about that, there's something about the intimacy of the instrument up against your body. It, it even resonates with your heartbeat. And your body resonates from the frequencies and the vibration of the instrument right up against you. There's something very personal about it, very intimate. It only really belongs to a guitar. No other instrument has that, does it? Not really. Even the violin... Maybe the cello, maybe viola, uh-huh. uh, but I think the, I think the guitar. You don't tuck the viola in, <laughs> or the cello. You definitely tuck the guitar in. Ultimate Spinach, the first group that you joined? No, I was playing with a band called the Holy Motor Rounders, which were just a bunch of crazy guys. Some of the members from the, the original band, the Fugs. It was just way too nuts and way too much fun. I mean, you gotta admit, you're in a band where some of your big hits are songs like Dirty Old Man and Boobs a lot, you know, which were big college, college 
jukebox hits. It was it was a folk rock. It's hard to describe. Do you like boobs a lot? Yes, I like boobs a lot. Boobs a lot, boobs a lot. Gotta like boobs a lot. Really like boobs a lot. Gotta like boobs a lot. Boobs a lot, boobs a lot. Gotta like boobs a lot. Down in the locker room, just we boys. Beating down the locker room with all that noise. Singing, do you like boobs a lot? Gotta like boobs a lot. Boobs a lot, boobs a lot. Gotta like boobs a lot. Do you wear your jock a lot? Yes, I wear my jock a lot. Got to wear your jock a lot. Gotta wear your jock a lot. Jock a lot, jock a lot. Gotta wear your jock a lot. Got to wear your jock a lot. I know that you refused to tell anybody where you got the nickname Skunk from, and I was hoping that maybe you'd just share that between you and me. Uh, it'll be in my book. Oh, we're going to hold for that. Can't even give us a little hint about what we can expect? Well, it'll be a compilation of a number of things that I've done, both in the music business and in other facets of my life. Do we have a title yet? I have a working title, yeah, but I promise the you My won't manager, share that either. I would, I would keep that oh, either. Jeff Baxter, you are full of secrets. Boy, I know how to keep a secret. Oh, that's a shame. I don't. If you twist my arm long enough, you'll find oh, out anything. Okay. <laughs> so no luck finding out where he got the nickname Skunk and no luck discovering the name of his forthcoming book. I'm really not doing very well, am I? Lucky Skunk Baxter is happy to chat about his musical collaborations. I was playing bass for Tim Buckley for a while. What was Tim like? Tim was an amazing human being in that he had a lot of demons, but in the same, I put him kind of in the same category as Tim Rose and people like that who had a lot of demons. But as they say, kill my demon, kill my muse, he figured out a way to channel much of that into a creative arena. And there were times when the the depth of that man musically was just beyond words. And he was a decent guy, he was a great guy. with Steely Dan? I was working in a, in a studio, a place called Intermedia Sound in Boston. I can't say that I was the house guitar player, but there were a number of different bands that came in and somebody always needed something. So I, I hung around there a lot and had done a bunch of studio work. I was going back and forth, living in Boston and traveling to New York to do session work down there. And I one of the bands that was recording and intermediate sound was a band called The Bead Game. John Sheldon, great guitar player. Yeah, wonderful guitar player. They were being produced by uh, another gentleman named Gary Katz, who eventually became the producer for Steely Dan. So Gary had heard my playing on, I guess he'd stuck his head in to a session or something that I was playing. And he said, listen, uh, I'm producing an artist named Linda Hoover whose album finally came out a few months ago, I guess.
has these two songwriters, I'm Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, who are writing much of the material for it. Would you come down to New York and work on the record? I said, sure, you know, book the time. I'll be down there, let's do it. And it was a very interesting time, interesting good. At, at the end of the project, both Walter Becker and Donald Fagan said, well, we, uh, this is incredible music. And they said, well, we've never really heard anybody play what you play on it. So we formed this sort of loose, you know, amalgamation of, you know, sort of agreement that whoever passed go first would call everybody else. So Becker and Fagan went to Los Angeles and got a publishing deal with ABC Dunhill Records with Gary Katz there as a house producer. And that was it. That was the camel's nose under the tent. And that first yeah. album then was Can't Buy Through. That's correct. Times are hard. What an album that was. You were kind of match made in heaven, I think, weren't you? Because it was incredible songwriting and you brought this kind of jazzy, pop, sophisticated feel to it. And the combination was just magic. And Denny Diaz, a wonderful guitar player. You know, I think we were a dichotomy made in heaven. And the drummer was the original drummer for the beat game, Jimmy oh. Hodder. <laughs> when they asked me, who do you know a great drummer? I said, oh yeah. And Gary was familiar with them as well. Did you ever expect that they'd become as successful as they did? We were just kids. I mean, you never know anything. Yeah. You just go do it, take your best shot. And I, I have to admit, you know, driving down the Sunset Strip, listening to Do It Again on the radio, I thought, hey, okay, all right, <laughs> maybe here. In the interesting to me because it's one of those songs where I think timing is everything. If we had released that a year before or a year after, it was like minute by minute. If we'd released that song a year before or a year after, nobody would have cared. So I'm not quite sure. I guess it's all about the stars aligning in whatever way they do to permit the entrance of something new into the universe. And then, of course, the next one that you did for them was in 1974 was Pretzel Logic. Well, the next one was Countdown to Ecstasy, was the second record, which I think was an amazing record. I think that was a very, very Steely Dan record. It was a song called Razor Boy, 
which I think is kind of sums up what Steely Dan was as a band. How would you define their sound? Uh, it's pretty eclectic in a sense that we were all versed, you know, myself as a studio musician, a lot of guys, you know, everybody's a great player. Jimmy had also done a number of sessions as a session player. Walter and Donald had both played with other bands, Jane Americans, other bands. So they were familiar and comfortable with working with other players. Uh, the lyrics I thought were brilliant. And the songwriting was fresh, I, I think is the word for it, and was an amalgamation of a number of different genres. I hear you are singing a song of the past. I see no sound wasn't it it was the first time we'd yeah. ever heard this it didn't fit into any one genre in particular no uh, no and i think the sound the sound when you talk about the actual generation of coherent oscillations of some kind had a lot to do with roger nichols the engineer and to this day there are a number of people who do both live sound and tuning monitors in studios that use Steely Dan as a reference because the recording was just impeccable. It was a great sound, wasn't it? And did you know the band's name was taken from a sex toy? Donald Fagan and Walter Becker named the group after a revolutionary steam-powered dildo that had been mentioned in the William S. Burroughs novel, Naked Lunch. Stick around as Jeff Skunk Baxter tells us about his time with the Doobie Brothers. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for being here. As we're discovering, Skunk Baxter has had a long and very successful career in the music business. From his first group in Mexico to working in guitar stores in Manhattan to being a member of bands like Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers, Skunk is recognised everywhere as a prolific guitarist. Today he continues to be active as a performer, commentator, composer, producer and highly sought-after session musician. How important is the chemistry? Do you have to get on really well together? you have to second-guess one another? It really depends. I've done a number of recording sessions where it's just, here's the chart, play it. Okay, well, we, we're all getting the click and we all live in this world. And for the most part, the folks who are the sort of studio crowd, studio guys, know each other. We've done a number of sessions together, both men and women. So everybody's familiar with each other on some level. And it can it can vary. Again, sometimes it's, here's the chart. We've got... 56 musicians on the session, you know, 40 string players, two harp players, you know, a timpani, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we're doing a movie soundtrack. Four guitar players, uh, two bass players, wow. three keyboard team. players. And so the, the function is really to play the chart and to, to try to accomplish uh, and execute what the, what the producer wants. And, of course, you have respect for your players and you, you keep one ear open. Then there are some times where it's completely the opposite. When uh, Giorgio Moroder asked me to, to work on the first Donna Summer record, he wanted to bring Donna into a rock genre. Yes, it was disco, but Giorgio wanted her to cross over. So that's why he called me. And then he said, I said, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to do what you do. Oh, okay, <laughs> roll, roll tape. 
Let's go. <laughs> and, you t- and you took her there. Was the first, first one was Hot Stuff. I played the solo on that. successful studio musician you have to learn to listen and you also there is an etiquette amongst players that develops where you give space to other players it's always interesting when sometimes you go in and you know young players or or folks that have never had much experience in the studio all they do is uh, they just want to play and play and play and play more and more and more and more and you sort of sit back and you go, okay, that's what you want to do. Sooner or later, you wear yourself out and then uh, we'll get down to business. So to me, it's a question of etiquette and a question of understanding that everyone has something to offer. Since I've had been working and still do work for Roland, on designing musical instruments and interfaces. I had a prototype guitar synthesizer that I brought into the studio because uh, Harold Faltermeyer and Jurgen Koppers, the engineer, were all gearheads. So I thought, you guys are gonna love this. <laughs> and as soon as I plugged it in, Jurgen said, we're gonna use that. And I said, okay. I said, now I want you to play a solo on Bad Girls. So the solo on Bad Girls is, I think the first guitar synthesizer solo on any record. So sometimes, you know, it depends. Katz, the engine, you know, the producer for Steely Dan called me one day, said, uh, hey, Skunk, uh, producing this female artist, I'm almost finished, but I need you to come in. Bring everything you got. You know, so that means call your cards company. It's 20 guitars, you know, five different amplifiers, all kinds, just bring everything. Mm. Okay. So I'm sitting there as Gary says, okay, I'm going to play the record for you. I want you to listen to it, and I want you to tell me what it needs. I uh, said, okay. So I listened to the whole record. And I turned to Gary. I said, doesn't need anything. It's just fine. And he said to me, and he said, skunk, that's why I pay you triple scale. <laughs> so sometimes it's what you don't play. Less is more. Absolutely. Is it true, skunk, that you um, coached Walter Becker until he could handle the guitar properly himself? No. I don't know where that came from. I mean, Walter was a pretty decent player. I mean, he, he played bass in, in Steely Dan because that was kind of the open chair. Certainly, I would sit down with him sometimes and, you know, sh- show him some stuff. But I don't think I, coaching him is an interesting concept. We hear your leaving. That's okay. I thought a little wild time had just You kind of scared yourself You turn and run But if you have a change of heart 
Pretzel Logic in 74 that you moved across to the, join the Doobie Brothers. Why leave Steely Dan? Well, I was actually in three bands at the same time. Steely Dan, the Doobie Brothers, and Linda Ronstadt. I was playing pedal steel for Linda. I was still in Steely Dan. And because Steely Dan was opening a, a number of shows for the Doobie Brothers, as we progressed, the Doobie Brothers asked me to sit in with the band. Okay, sure. Well, I like to play guitar, whatever you want. So it started out with a couple of songs, then three songs, then five songs, then half the show. And finally, they said, would you come out and tour with us? So I was actually at a concert in Nebworth in Britain with the Doobie Brothers when I had the conversations with the guys at Steely Dan that didn't want to tour anymore. And I liked touring. I really enjoyed it. So I you know, hung up the phone. I said, well, I guess that's kind of it for me and Steely Dan. And the Doobie said, well, now you're in the Doobie Brothers. You don't know me, but I'm your brother. I was raised here in this living hell. You don't know my kind in your world. Very soon, the time will tell. have been an incredibly hectic period for you running between all three of them no i loved it plus yeah. sessions i mean yeah, all i want to do is play the guitar yeah right and you talk well, about you sessions you were working with the likes of dolly parton and barbara streisand rod stewart brian adams ringo carly simon joni mitchell a whole host of them you were you were really very highly sought after weren't you Actually, I shouldn't oh, say word so. because you are still highly sought after. <laughs> well, you're very You've always kind. been highly sought after. Yeah, I, obviously, I got. I don't want to let my ego get in the way, but I, I guess what I have to offer is helpful to other people who want help in ultimately creating, producing, and delivering their vision on music. Jeff left the Doobie Brothers in early 1979 after spending five years in the band. It gets to a point, as a change agent, which I think I am, you have to know when it's time to go and do something else. And after I brought Michael McDonald into the band and radically changed the band, kind of like what happened with Fleetwood Mac, there comes a time when, from a creative standpoint, it's time. And so I was also starting to really get into producing records and it's hard to produce something when you're out on the road you only have so many hours in a day
about you that makes you so good? Is it that calculating maths type mind that you've got that goes so well with music? I think that's part of it because mathematics and music are joined at the hip. Every physicist I ever worked with, including Dr. Edward Teller, the man who invented the hydrogen bomb, concert pianist, Albert Einstein was a concert violinist, uh, Mike Campbell, I worked with him at Lawrence Livermore and who ended up taking over the physics department at the University of Rochester, guitar player, Brian May, who got his master's in astrophysics. She keeps She says, just like Marie Antoinette, a building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. And any time an invitation you can take Caviar cigarettes, well burst in any can, extraordinarily nice. She's a killer queen, got body genetine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed it to blow your mind. The connection is visceral. And I think by growing up in Mexico and having been exposed to so many different kinds of music, much of which was through my parents' record collection, very buried and eclectic musical library, gave me a good, strong fundamental in terms of being able to play just about anything. And do you still have such a wide ranging taste? Oh yeah, one minute I'm gonna to listen to Kai Bash with India Lucia, and the next minute I'm gonna be listening to Peggy Lee do a fever. And then when I go to the dentist, I always listen to Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. I love Beethoven. Oh yeah. One time I was actually in the dentist chair and I had the headphones on and I was just in, in the place. And all of a sudden they're ripping all the stuff off my face and going, Are, are you okay? Yeah. I said, Well, are you in pain? No. I said, well, there's, you know, tears running down your eyes. I said, listen, I'm in the second movement of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. Damn it. And they disturbed you. <laughs> you know? I love classical music, and classical music is the basis for a lot of what I do. But yet you made your living out of pop and, and rock music. You didn't actually turn towards classical. Well, yes and no. I mean, there are times in the studio when people would like something. I mean, I, I remember it was a song that we did, uh, I Cheat the Hangman with the Doobie Brothers, and at the end of it, I thought I would wrap it up with a very short classical piece that I wrote. And I think I tried to synthesize and distill as much of the classical guitar that I knew into something that was definitely of the classical genre, no doubt about it. So you're always experimenting and inventing. You've been doing that all along. Well, I'm a, I'm a gearhead in a sense, you know, a person who loves technology, whether it's designing radar systems or electric guitars. I had a lot to do with the guitar synthesizer and have always how to technology headspace. Not bad, really, for a 74-year-old, is it? It was Skunk's general interest in technology that also led him into production, most notably helming several albums for, for Scottish hard rockers Nazareth. This one, Fallen Angel, from the album Malice in Wonderland.
don't believe where else Skunk Baxter's technology headspace has taken him. Back in just a sec. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. We've been learning a great deal about the multi-talented Jeff Skunk Baxter. I believe you developed an interest in military hardware and weapons systems also, which led you to being hired in 2001 by the Bush administration as a defence analyst. Wrote a paper on how to convert a Navy carrier battle group and surface battle group anti-air defense system, how to convert it to do theater missile defense. Gave it to a congressman buddy that I was working with, um, helping him with counterterrorism because I was with LAPD at the time. And he gave it to the vice chairman of the Armed Services Committee, who then called him back and said, what is this guy with Lockheed or something? No, he's a guitar player for the Doobie Brothers. So I got a call saying, would you accept the position on the Armed Services Committee consulting on missile defense? Okay. And that just led to more and more and more involvement with the Department of Defense. How does that sit with music? Uh, As I explained to some of my colleagues, a radar is just an electric guitar on steroids. (laughs) <laughs> if you understand the physics of it, what's the difference? What was it like working for government like that? Well, I, and I'm not going to get into much detail, but no, I love no, my country. Because you can I'm keep a, a good secret. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Having toured the Soviet Union, where freedom is less than a given, music depends on freedom to thrive. You know, jazz was outlawed in Russia and the Soviet Union for years. You could be punished for playing jazz, because jazz represented improvisation, which is based on freedom of thought. Well, I can't have that. So to grow up and to be a citizen of a country that believes that freedom is the most important tenet, not only makes me happy and I am blessed to be and still be a part of that, but there comes a time when you have to step up and it's worth fighting for. Do you still work with with government today? Yes. You've just released Speed of Heat, your very first solo album. Tell me a little bit about that album. Well, it's my musical partner on this project, a gentleman named C.J. Vanston, who I met doing sessions, jingles in Chicago. We have been doing sessions for about a week when one of the top jingle producers came in and he was pretty baked, seven in the morning. And uh, he said, okay, you guys ready? I went, yeah, sure, what's up? So he handed out the music. I looked at the sheet of paper and said, Hyatt. So I guess it was for Hyatt Hotels. It had a key signature and a time signature and 64 bars with no music. So Bobby says, okay, you guys ready? And you know, being the studio rats that we are, you never say no. So I said, sure, absolutely. And I, I'd met CJ at the beginning of the session. I looked at him, he went, yeah, okay, roll tape. So we improvised and we wrote the jingle on the fly. And after it was over, I said, you know, this is an incredible phenomenon that you and I can write music together just on the fly. And I said, if I ever do a solo project, I would love to do it with you. So when CJ moved to Los Angeles, we would take some time out of our schedules and record. It was just kind of a labor of love when we had the time. And then after about three years, we realized that we had a lot of material. Maybe we should finish this up. And so he's an aviation buff. I spend a lot of time working with aircraft, mostly military. And so the working title of the project was Speed of Heat, which is the aerodynamic phenomena that happens when a body moves through the atmosphere close to Mach 1, speed of sound. So that was the working title. So the president of the record, I said, I love the title of the record. I said, what's the title of the record? <laughs> speed of heat. Okay. Do you know what that is? He says, no, but that's great. I said, okay. So when I designed the album cover, you'll notice that there are a number of equations on the cover. So about four months ago, I got a call from one of my colleagues at Northrop Grumman Corporation. He said, Skunk. I said, yeah, Jay. He says, I know what those equations are on the cover of your record. So he says, those are uh, oblong pressure waves. So I said, yep, you got it. So it's kind of was kind of fun to be able to combine everything, have a little bit of something, you know, you know, not playing the record backwards or anything, but have a little bit of something, have some fun. I remember the 35 sweet goodbyes. When you put me on the Wolverine up to Annandale It was still September When you
that surprise To find you with the working girls in the county jail I was smoking with the boys upstairs when I your favorite tracks is there one in particular wow that's like what's my favorite child how many have you got uh, children two you mustn't two. have been I there love. very much if you're uh, always traveling around no but we have a wonderful relationship it just doesn't get any better and my son it's fender good. is on the road with us mom named him fender so. <laughs> and my daughter works for government as well and we want to say acorn doesn't fall far from the tree yeah but the album i I guess the whole concept of doing this record, I love them all because I actually like what I played. I mean, I've done so many records. I mean, I'm not trying to sound disingenuous. I'm just saying I've done so many records. And I can't say as I go back and listen to much of what I've done before. A couple of things on the Brooklyn Dreams album was pretty fun. like my place in the sun where Michael McDonald joins you of course you do your brother's bandmate as I mean right. and you've got a few guest vocalists helping you out don't you yes yes it was going to be an instrumental album I just wanted to play like Apache and have some fun and then I ran into Mike when I was doing a charity event up in Santa Barbara and Mike asked me what I was doing and I said well I'm doing this solo project I says well if you'd like me to do something on it I'd love to I said are you kidding that'd be fantastic and so here's the deal. Come down to L.A., write with my partner, CJ, the three of us, and let's do something that you've never done. And as we say, out of your wheelhouse, something that is not what you would be known for. If you're okay with that, let's take a shot. And Place in the Sun is very different than anything Michael has ever done before. I trace my steps up to this moment All at once it's clear to me Just like the pieces of a puzzle Exactly as they need to be Not to embrace my desolation Though I'm no stranger to this place Till one memory brings a smile Like a warm breeze across my face My place in the sun So true and clear Even now, still you find me here Let faith be my light Darkness my fact I need only believe Find my way back to my place in the sun Place in the sun Same with Johnny Lang. Very different than something that he's ever done before. So that was the idea. Let's explore. Now, favorite song. Hard to say. One thing I do love is the song The Rose. Many, many, many years ago, when I was on the board of advisors for Guitar Player Magazine, 
they had put together a 25th anniversary celebration. And they said, we would like you to play something because we want to show a series of photographs of our colleagues who have passed on. So I don't know, one day, I guess I was listening to the radio and I heard the rose. I said, what a beautiful melody. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this on pedal steel. So I went out, they started, the lights went down, they started showing the photograph. And I started an a cappella version of the rose on pedal steel. And I had got, just gotten to the end of the first verse when Adrian Ballou came out and plugged in. And I love Adrian, he's one of my favorite people. And so next thing I know, by the end of the second verse, we have a whole rhythm section. And at the end of it, I thought, wait a minute, I'm gonna file this away, you know? So when it came time to look for material for the record, I said, I'm gonna do that. I love the voice of the pedal steel. I don't think anybody has ever done an acapella performance of pedal steel. I've never heard it. That's special for me, that song. afraid to get outside of your comfort zone have you to to experiment and create a whole lot of things and I love the reimagined do it again from Steely Dan <laughs> pretty sleazy slimy greasy yeah kind of that New York shuffle we love that stuff kind of shuffle stuff I'm glad you like it a lot of fun to play Jeff, aren't you? We'll look forward to your book coming out. I hope to get back to Oz. I would love to go down and play. I love that place. I even had residency status there for many years. Played a lot with Jimmy Barnes and the Party Boys. strong tie with Australia. Thank you so much for your time today, Jeff Skunk Baxter. I'm still intrigued to know how you got that nickname. Not even a well, little One of these days, and uh, yeah. as we say in the Navy, bravo Zulu. You did a great job. <laughs> and speed of heat to you. <laughs> Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. What an extraordinary man he is, Jeff Skunk Baxter. I'm still intrigued about that nickname, Skunk, and after doing a bit of research, I did manage to come up with an article in the now-defunct rock magazine, Cream. The magazine reports that Jeff earned his moniker while relieving himself outside a recording studio. 
Apparently, he'd been mistakenly locked out of the session and was outside just minding his own business and doing his business when someone inside opened a door, stepping into his line of fire. The guy cried out, you skunk, and a nickname was born. I'm not sure if this is actually fable or fact, I guess we're going to have to just wait for Skunk's book to come out to finally put the record straight. Thanks for being here with me today. I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about Jeff Skunk Baxter. And don't forget, if you'd like to request a guest, you know what you have to do. Just send me a message through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au. Take care of yourself, won't you, until we meet again, same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day, oh baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.